everyone. Welcome to the Tech Seeking Human podcast. My name is Dave Anderson and uh, the person I'm speaking to has a phenomenal background and I'm not joking. So, Sean, where do I start? Let me see if I can have a go at this and you tell me whether I've got any of this right or not. Okay. Uh, where do I start? You worked at the White House in cybersecurity. So True. there's a podcast in itself. So hopefully we don't go too long on that topic. Uh, which president were you working under at the time? Uh, the last president, uh, President Trump. Okay. <laughs> well, this could go for a while. Um, and then uh, you were a... Uh, you drove the ships or coast Ship driving, yep. Okay, yep. So you know yep, a lot about right. um uh distribution of goods through shipping ports. Supply chain. What's, what's it called? Supply chain. Supply chain, yep. 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 Okay, so you know that it's actually physically shipping containers. I used to talk about virtual containers in one point in my life, but these are real containers, so that's pretty cool. You also cool. were in Afghanistan serving for the US military. Yep, uh, doing uh, offensive cybersecurity, so attacking uh, other countries, in, or in this case, the Taliban um, and Al Qaeda and, and other uh, terrorist organizations. But yep, uh, you married an Olympic swimmer. I did, I did, and and and, and I'm still married to an Olympic <laughs> swimmer. We, in fact, in fact, we hit ten years in two weeks. But uh, congratulations! Yes, yes, I married uh, Maddie Crippen, uh, well-known uh, U.S. Olympic swimmer for the United States. I saw her swim in uh, the Sydney Olympics. It turns out, which is a hilarious. <laughs> she was in the Sydney Olympics. That's great. But uh, you've got quite the background. Like honestly, you sit at a dinner party, and you go. Well, like if you got stuck next to someone at a dinner party and you go like, so tell me a little bit about yourself. And you go, well, I was in the Coast Guard. Well, I went to Afghanistan. Well, I went <laughs> to cybersecurity for the, US, for, the, for the White House. And well, I married an Olympic swimmer. The person next to you would go, oh, I don't know if I've got anything to talk to you about, really. Um, the question <laughs> is really, where do we start? And, well, uh, you got to follow it up with, and now you work for an AI company. <laughs> and now you work for an AI company. Is that just as interesting as the other... Well, well that, I mean, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here, trying to keep the uh, keep the ball rolling, right? That's a that's a massive claim for Data Robot and AI to have someone with such a diverse background <laughs> and so many unique and interesting things. And we want to come back to like how and why and what are you doing with Data Robot. But first, I got to ask about working at the White House in cybersecurity because <laughs> the headline news in Australia is. Australian government looks to artificial intelligence as part of its cybersecurity policy. And of course, the article has no substance in it at all. <laughs> Can you give us the insight into how, what were you doing? What were you doing when you were working for the US government in cybersecurity? What are they doing? Like, what's their policy sure. around it? And where are the threats coming from? And what is AI doing? Sure, absolutely. I'll uh, cover that a couple different ways, right? So, um, when I was there, I was there uh, 20, 2018, 2019. Um, my job uh, was on the National Security Council. I owned um, how does the U.S. Uh, do uh, military operations in cyberspace? So how do we do offensive activity? I also owned maritime cybersecurity, right? So how do, uh, how do we protect the supply chain, ironically, uh, from cybersecurity uh, attacks, from cyber attacks, and then and then I also owned um, how do we handle the China relationship, right? How 
you know, how do we push back against the adversarial cyber attacks that China conducts to, you know, steal our intellectual property and, um, and um, cause economic outcomes in the United States that favor China. Um, so I, I own those, those are my primary issues. It was, uh, it was an amazing experience, right? Uh, working at the highest level of government and thankfully, uh, or, you know, uh, luckily, thankfully, I was able to actually get a lot of that passed and signed by the president. So it's enacted. Those are presidential executive orders and um, different different activities uh, for the United States. And they've survived to this day, right? So the administration has changed. Um, but I kind of feel like saying, you know, I must have done something right because they're mm-hmm. still uh, they're still in play today, right? They're still being used. Um, in the current administration. So can I unpack um, that? So do you mean you, you yeah. developed strategies or tactics or policy, policy, yeah. policies? Policies. Yeah. What sort of policies? What are these policies? So um, I led terms. the initiative. Sure. To, get, to give you the simple terms. Um, during the Trump administration, we recognized that the United States was not doing enough to combat um, our adversaries right? China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, are, we're taking it to us in cyberspace with no repercussions, right? You can't just get up there and say, stop cyber attacking us. The, I, I mean, I get it. You may be the president of the, of the free world, um, you know, of the United States of America, but that it's not a deterrent, right? It doesn't, it doesn't stop activity. We've seen it, you know, uh, over the past 15 years, no matter what the president is, it doesn't change our adversary's activity. Um, and I always say, why not? People say, why not? And I said, because it's successful. It works, right? <laughs> like these cyber attacks are successful. That's why we keep seeing them in the news. What are so, they? What are the cyber attacks? Like what were they doing to the US? Sure. So like right now, the the number one topic is, uh, is ransomware, uh, right? So you have you have multiple nations, but in particular, Russia, Russia has criminal actors that are conducting cyber attacks um, to ransom the computer systems of American businesses. And now these Russian actors, these criminal organizations in Russia are acting with impunity, Mm -hmm. basically because they have what you would call a letter of mark. Now, to go back to the privateering days, the pirate days uh, of, you know, the 18, 17, 16, 17, 1800s, you have a government that is basically saying, hey, as long as you don't attack us, we're okay with it. So they're, they're having these letters of mark where they can go attack another country without feeling that they'll be prosecuted or held accountable for it. And so that's, that's the number one issue right now, uh, at least in the United States, is, is we're seeing um, ransomware attacks against U.S. businesses, basically taking businesses offline and, and shutting them down, essentially. Um, holding them hostage for mon- money, like like Garmin, right? Where they took yeah, they took that's Garmin, right. Garmin right. is a good example. <laughs> yeah, I woke um, up. I, I couldn't yeah. discover my sleep anymore, um, and so I obviously uh, thought, you know, maybe my watch is down for a bit. But turns out, you know, it was something a little bigger than my little uh, sleep patterns that they were after. But what did <laughs> you do? What what? So so was it a defensive? Like so, no, so these it was guys are attacking. Yeah. What's what offensive mean? So like you're going, all right, you attack me. That's it. I'm going to go and attack you now. So we we rewrote mean? the rule. 
So the rule book before um, had a, a significant number of constraints on um, how you could conduct that response or offensive activity to deter or stop an adversary. We rewrote those activities. We rewrote how, what, the, what the authorities said you could offensively do. Uh, we basically empowered the Department of Defense in the United States to go take action against uh, these criminal actors, uh, criminal actors, terrorist organizations, nation states, other countries uh, that were attacking us. We, we, we basically took, the, uh, we, we took the, the, the chains off and said, hey, DOD, go, go get them. You, know, you can go oh, stop wow. this activity. So a cyber attack in in some regards could be seen almost as much as it's a physical attack. Is that so it's like this gang, like say say Garmin, right? They got taken down for five days. They said, pay us five million dollars or and then we'll uncrypt all of your computers and you can regain services. And of course Garmin does more than just the watches, they do all the navigation, the ships and planes and stuff. So that was a calculated attack. Now, does the US government then go to the Department of Defense and go? We sort of know who it is. You're allowed to do something about this now. What is the action that they take? Is it a physical thing or they attack them online or they threaten them? Or well, so I mean, that's you know, a great question. It doesn't have to be that specific use case. It can be any though, that someone, a gang that causes this problem, what can they do? So that's a great question, right? So um, now obviously we know, right? The commander in chief, the president of the United States controls the activity, um, but what we did is we wrote authorities that said that said you could conduct um, activity short of war, right? You you could go conduct cyber activities in response to that. So let's say you were in a criminal gang, you attacked me. I owned a company in the United States. You ransomware me. Um, if you know, at the discretion of the military commanders, the Secretary of Defense, right? Um, and, and leadership in the United States, they could respond by attacking you to the extent of, hey, I'm going to hack into your bank account and take all your money. I'm going to give you a thousand parking tickets and make it so your life's difficult. I'm going to shut the power off at your house or um, a, 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 a series of events, just, a, just a, an effort to respond to make your life more difficult. Um, to prevent you from conducting further activity, uh, that's the that's essentially what. Um, okay, so we, I like, we rewrote the rules on. I like this game. So, like, how you made me the evil one. So, I'm going to continue <laughs> with that. So, I am Doctor Evil, and I I'm am probably not the first to do that. <laughs> probably not. Um, so, so I'm Doctor Evil, and I'm willing, and I have conducted a attack on your business in this regards. And let's pretend I live in Australia. Um, sure. which is where I live. Um, now, does the US government have to coordinate with the Australian government in attacking me? Because this is one where it's probably not coming from Australia. It's probably coming from Russia and China. And therefore, the US probably doesn't have relationships with Russia and China in the same way that it does with Australia. So if I'm going to take money from your bank account and cause havoc to your life, would I notify their government, hey, I'm going to do this to these people? Or am I just going to go, oh, we're just doing it? So, so now if it's Australia, we wouldn't have done, we wouldn't, we wouldn't do that. If it's Australia, you're a member of the five eyes community, the yeah. U S government would turn around and say, Hey, Australia, 
I need you, your FBI equivalent to go take care of that guy. Yeah. Um, but but uh, countries such as Russia or China, um, yes, previously the 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 rules were written or the way that the U.S. conducted policy is they would tell the government, hey, we're unhappy that uh, Dave did these things. We're going to do something to Dave. Well, obviously, you know, it's like, hey, Dave's going to get hit. All right. All right. We'll take care of Dave. Don't worry about it. Uh, Dave, this one, just relax for a minute. It's going to hurt just for a second. Um, that, that's not a deterrent activity, right? When, when the other country is supporting it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we've abandoned that philosophy. Uh, the, the government abandoned that philosophy. Um, and the government now can take actions unilaterally without informing the nation. Wow. Like, it's a lot of power. It's a lot of power that can be wielded by, by people who can rightly I mean, wrongly make decisions that, I mean, you'd hope you're accurate. Well, a couple of different things. First off, aren't those decisions already being made against citizens in Australia and businesses in Australia and businesses in the United States, right? So like those decisions are already being made against us. Hmm. So when we say that, is that a lot of power? I mean, is, is it, is it really like we're already the victims? So uh, why would we not defend ourselves? Don't you say it, uh, is there a United Nations for online, like a uh, United Nations for cyber, like an international police do you know what I mean, though? Because it's it's a small yeah. world, right? An, it, an, an international order. rules-based order. <laughs> yeah, it should, it should, should be like a like a some kind of special forces that exist with a United Nations dedicated just for cyber cyber security and cyber. It just I don't know. That seems to make sense to me, or is that completely crazy? So um, it's crazy the way you just paused. <laughs> <laughs> I think history would show you that adversarial nations disagree with a rules-based order. When we look at Russian seizure of Crimea, that just violated the rules-based order. When we look at China building islands in the middle of the uh, in, in the middle of the the ocean and claiming the land as their own, and then extending their international uh, extending their their waters out into the middle of international waters, like. There's not, there are certain nations that do not have respect for a rules-based order. They never have. Um, you look at 300 fishing vessels off the coast of Ecuador, fishing all of Ecuador's fish out and hauling it back to China, right? Like certain countries have no respect for international rules-based order. So it, it's hard. You can't say that one group of countries or one country is going to do those things and expect that another nation will because they don't. So the answer really is the existing relationships, the existing um, ethics or the groups or the five eyes or whatever you called it, cyber security just becomes part of the conversations. That's just That's another right. it's just another part of where we have discussions over physical um, boundaries and strategies and things like that. Absolutely. That's uh, so what role does AI play in all of this? Right, right. So, um, great question. Uh, you're you're seeing right now. We're seeing nations uh, make significant strides in investments in AI. We've heard uh, 
the U.S. say that, you know, AI is the future. In fact, we have the National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence that issued a report last year. You've seen uh, Vladimir Putin, Russia in 2018 or uh, 17 or 18, I believe it was 18, said um, AI is the future. Whoever leads in AI will rule the world. You've seen the, um, the Prime Minister of China, Xi Jinping, say that AI is their number one priority investment. Um, and they're going to be the world leader by 2030, right? So why are these nations saying AI matters so much? Um, and I think uh, in, in my point of view, and this is part of the reason why, you know, I came to Data Robot, right? I came to the robot because um, I do believe that it, that it matters. Um, AI from a, AI would, um, first off on the lowest level, augments the intelligence cycle. Right. What I mean by that is there is a intelligent, there is a decision cycle that every human makes in a situation where we observe a situation that occurs. We orient ourselves to decide what's to, to see, understand what's going on. We decide what we're going to do in that situation and then we act on it. It's often called the OODA loop. Um, and, and, you know, all references go to John Boyd, there, a famous um warfighter in America, uh, Air Force officer. But that's what we do in every situation. Now, AI allows us to harness uh, different observables and, and provide us a probability of what that decision should be faster than we could do on our own. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's the lowest level of AI is augmenting the intelligence. Um, the highest level of AI is when we're allowing the system to make that decision cycle on its own and then operate on its own. Um, and I think that that's, that's the, the glide slope, the transition path of where we're, where we're moving to. Um, right now, all these investments are, how do we empower humans to make better decisions? And how do we, and then the secondary piece of how do we automate defensive capability? Hey, I saw this was something going on. How do I, uh, decide and augment my de defensive posture faster than the adversary could respond. Um, and all the way through to where we want to be, you know, 2030, where um, the AI system is presenting us all the way through to that decision point of actual activity. Um, and we think about that often in the Terminator standpoint, right? Everyone loves to jump right to, you know, T-1000, Terminator gets sent on a mission, just makes decisions, but people rarely think about how does that matter in an economic capacity, right? Um, imagine you can use AI in the marketplace where it's um, observing the market and making decisions faster than the market can react for your own profitability. Um, imagine where it's making these decisions to drive efficiencies in manufacturing. Uh, probabilities of where to gather natural resources, um, it, market variables on where to uh, invest in real estate, uh, those, type, those types of plays, um, even, even predicting the weather, right? So when we think about um, where AI could go on the battlefield as well as in the economic zone, um, if, if we're ahead and making better positive decisions, um, I think every leading nation in the world agrees that 
whoever is leading that is will be will be the world leader. So I immediately thought when you said three countries, Terminator scenario, I, I that's a, what immediately what I jumped to, right? I imagine an AI of China, Russia, and America combating each other in some form of cyber warfare or you know, their AI manipulating economic systems to create beneficial playing fields for them, for oil, for manufacturing or whatever. But you're also just talking the simplicity of countries being more efficient in their own industries in what they do, whether that is anything from their own manufacturing to banking to real estate to all these things. It's the countries that can leverage this AI for the better of its own people will make them more efficient and will prosper. That's right. That's right. We to to play off of the your uh, you know America's team there, Boston Red Sox cap. Um, everyone assumes the game is played in grand slams when you know home runs where everybody you know you have home runs plus everybody on base. When the game's actually played in singles, and those incremental economic boosts lead to a GDP, you know, gross domestic product, and the economic output that that provides you an unmatched advantage on the, on the diplomatic playing field where you can literally force um, countries to support your economic agenda. Right. And we're seeing that we see, we see that right now um, in terms of China um, using a heavy hand in the South Pacific islands um, in, in, and then also in uh, South America and in Africa where they're um, using it to extrapolate natural resources and paying paying them off, paying the country off. It's a short-term gain for the country and a long-term benefit for uh, the, ec- the economy of China. So you said the U.S. didn't really have any policy around cybersecurity until you sort of came in and started working on it. I read a little bit. Yeah, okay. No, well, then let me take the different approach. So for, for anyone who's just listening to this, Sean just pointed at me like, because I was pointing at him actually, but he pointed at me like, oh, no, you're actually sort of wrong. But, um, but, but if you listen to the audio side, but actually I wanted to come back to one question, which is it got to do with the investment. I read in um, Genius Makers, which is a really good book by a guy called Cade Metz, who talks about the evolution of AI throughout time and what's happening in modern history. And if I summarize what I learned and the biggest fear that I had, the US government wanted to work with Microsoft and Google who have arguably the best AI engineers available because of the money has, that's where the money is, right? So that's where the AI yeah. engineers are going aside from obviously geniuses that work at Data Robot. But uh, people like Baidu, on the other hand, in China, oh, sorry. And then to finish my sentence on the AI in the US, they want to work, like the Department of Defense wants to work with Google and Microsoft. And for anyone who hasn't been following the news, a huge backlash where most of the employees went, absolutely no way is that going to happen. Then you go over to China and there is no backlash because the government will have access to Baidu's top engineers or any engineers for that matter, where they will develop AI without any ethical boundaries. Is this a divide in terms of both the talent and the investment of the two countries? In your uh, yes, so so three different answers. I'll segment that apart. The first answer to you know when I uh, you know raise my point on on the China policy. I, I mean on the U.S. cyber policy. 
yeah. the U.S. did have an evolving cyber policy all the way back from the Bush years through Obama and into the Trump years. Um, it was just an evolution of process, right? Um, if you go back to the uh, Bush and Obama years, the overwhelming thought was um, cyber attacks were a silver bullet and they could cause a, uh, it was a nuclear deterrence theory, right? Like you would use your cyber attack in a way that you would use your nuclear weapons. And we've obviously proven, I mean, unfortunately, it's been proven to us by Russian criminal actors, Russian state actors, and Chinese state actors that uh, it's not a nuclear weapon and it's being used against us every day. Yep. Um, and so, and so um, we, we've just continued to evolve the policy and I, and I, and thankfully, uh, you know, I, or luckily, thankfully I was in a position, I got to be in a position at a time where we were able to evolve that policy to another level to what it is today. Um, so that's where, that's where I was going there. Um, the secondary aspect uh, or the secondary question that you, that you had where um, about this AI um, uh, about this AI evolution and how we're facing off against uh, let's say a, a, a China in this aspect um, and how does big tech handle that or come into play? Yeah. Um, there's, there's, there's two different things. So the big tech or the Silicon Valley of China doesn't exist in a uh, open, open playing, uh, open playing field, right? The workers in China don't have a choice whether they would work or not. Um, that's not how it works. I mean, look at, I dare you to go find Jack, uh, Jack Ma, right? The, um, Alibaba CEO. Where is he? He was he turning into. He was like the third richest person in the world. And he's Where gone. is he now? Gone, right? Is he still um, gone? There's multiple articles out there that say that he's faced the the backlash of of Xi, of Xi Jinping, right? In 2017, China came out with a cybersecurity law that basically said you must provide. If you want to operate in China, you will provide us access to your data. You yeah, will provide us uh, the Chinese government access to this information, right? So um, the United States, obviously, everyone gets a vote. And so um, when DOD, the Department of Defense in the U.S. said, hey, we wanted to work AI issues, you saw that backlash from Google. You saw that backlash from, um, yeah, different employees. The irony is, what did we see last week? LinkedIn finally said they were closing their oh, doors yeah. in China, right? Google was operating in China. Microsoft is operating in China. So you had, I mean, you had years of where employees were saying, oh, we don't want to support AI in the Department of Defense. And yet that the, they're still supporting that like Google was supporting AI in China. So like, that's yeah. to me, that's a little bit of, we we allow so much freedom in the United States that we also allow the freedom of people not to read, not to understand um, that their same company that they're saying they can't support DOD is actually supporting the government of the oppressive government of China. You just we should move on because I want to get to. <laughs> 
I want to get to the data robot and cybersecurity, but I also I can't help as you're talking about this. I'm like, you know, freedom of choice, freedom of whatever. Yeah. I still come back to the idea of like, if if it's an if it's not if it's a questionable ethical government, they're not very ethical, and they do want to develop an AI to cause harm, then you need to defend yourself. Yeah. And at times of war in the past, people didn't have choices that their choices were taken away from them and they were forced to do things they didn't want to do because it was for the good of the country. I hope, I, I don't think we should ever speculate on this right now, but I do hope we never get into that scenario where it's like we need to develop AI to develop ourselves physically from physical AI attacking us like Terminator. <laughs> I, I, I think that that, yeah, I think we're a little ways off there. Um, but what I do think is is interesting is when we talk about the marketplace right now, um, and we talk about ethical AI or mm-hmm. or trusted AI is a is a is a well spoken term. Mm-hmm. Um, you and you speak about adversarial AI, right? Which is an AI system attacking uh, uh, or uh, another AI system, um, or trying to drive a, uh, an outcome. Where I do think there's market differentiation in the United States, or, or let's just say the Western Western Hemisphere, um, is there are a, a significant number of products coming to market where companies believe that the AI that they're they're providing, the algorithms that they're using, are proprietary, and they don't want to share that information. That's the black box that makes their AI special. Yep. And then there's other companies. Um, of which, thankfully, uh, and I believe in, is Data Robots, one of them, yep. where we provide a trusted AI platform where we actually think the algorithm is not the proprietary information. It's the implementation of the platform, the, the rollout of the capability, um, and then the, the follow-on innovation of the players, the, the employees involved. That's what provides the market different, differentiation. And we call that trusted AI. Um, and that's where we actually um, we're happy to show, hey, how was this decision calculated? How did you find this um, this path to success? And when we and to move that to the you know combating the Terminator or the adversarial AI activity, where an AI system would be pushing in to derive a certain negative outcome for you. Um, and what I mean by that, if you think if you think back, I go I. To me, I don't know why, you know, maybe my simple mind, but I go back to the, uh, what was that game in Price is Right, where it was like uh, uh, Pongo or Pingo, wherever you drop the, the thing in and it goes choo, 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 all the way to the bottom. Um, you think about that from an AI aspect and it's uh, a series of logical statements. Adversarial AI could be derived to say, um, give a certain inputs to get to an outcome that is non-beneficial or, um, you know, adversarial per se to, to the, the host. Um, it's much harder to do when you have a trusted system where you can see all of the calculations and you can see how you can get to that decision point. Um, and that's why I, I actually believe more in that trusted AI aspect as opposed to the black box. Absolutely. So for, and I'll unpack that a little for, for anyone else because we've done a lot of podcast episodes talking just about this particular topic. So as 
AI is being used to make more decisions, people naturally will question those decisions and you want it to be as fair as possible. So you're not segregating, you're not being sexist, you're not being ageist, you're not being, um, you know, you're equally treating socio-demographics, you're not using group data, all, but all these things. So you're giving a fair outcome to an insurance policy that's been delivered or the amount of healthcare that I'm getting supplied with or the drugs that I'm supposed to take. Um, and I mean, legalized proper um, drugs for the benefit of society and yourself. Um, the other thing to that is it's also important for the developers because the developers who are developing the AI also need to be able to explain it because it's never one developer working on an AI or an algorithm. It's multiple, right? And as people contribute to it, they all need to have a common understanding of what its pitfalls are and when it skews off into somewhere where it's going wrong and creating a bias, therefore it can be corrected. And that's both of those examples I think are really important from a consumer perspective and also from the user perspective. Now, Without doing so, and that's what the data robot does. Right? So that's one of the things a data robot can do is be able to explain its decision making and and eliminate sort of elements of bias or or put its hand up and say, I'm not I'm not tracking as well as we were previously. What's the role? You've come on as a cybersecurity person from the White House who used to drive ships, um, who married a swimmer. No, um, who but he's a cybersecurity expert. Now, when I first joined Data Robot, which is all of not long ago, they didn't do cybersecurity. Like cybersecurity is a niche. These are the tools and this is what we use and point solutions. So Data Robot's a broader platform. What's its role? Why is it? Why is this a new area? Why does it make sense? Yeah. It's yeah great why question. does it make sense? <laughs> so great question. Um, I think uh, I go back to, so uh, when I was, um, leaving government and I was looking at where I should go in, in the private sector. Um, I did, I did talk to a significant number of cybersecurity companies, right? Uh, that's, that's my bailiwick. That's what I like to do. And that's what I want to continue doing. But my thought process was, is there's a tremendous focus on the current method of, you know, way, the way things occur in cybersecurity, right? You build your sock out then you build your, your threat hunt team, and then you build your intelligence team or vice versa. Um, and then you build a vulnerability team. And it's pretty, pretty, uh, you know, there are a lot of standardized roles there, right? And there are some very good products that do individualized things. And I said to myself, I said, what's next? Like, where are we going after that? Where are companies migrating their technology stack to that, maybe these existing cybersecurity postures will have to adapt to next. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what drove me to, um, to the, uh, to, to the AI space. Um, and I started talking with data robot and data robot was a platform, right? This is, this is one of the things I love is I came in, I said, well, where's data robot operating? And they're like, oh, well, we're in insurance. We're doing some things in manufacturing. We're in uh, finance, high-speed trading. We're, we've got some random things in, in uh, audit and accounting. Um, and to me, I said, well, what are we doing in cyber? And they said, well, not nothing really. We haven't really done much there yet. And I said, the data is still data. 
right? If you have a platform that can that that can harness the power of better decision making, why can't we put cybersecurity information into that platform and still come out with better decisions? If you're doing it in manufacturing and you're doing it in insurance and finance, those things aren't alike, right? Um, so what's the difference if we take a different data set from cybersecurity and bring that in? I bet you we could also come up with better decision-making process. Um, and so that's, that's what uh, spurned me on or excited me to come to, to Data Robot is that was that green playing field. And I talked to some of the companies that are, are cyber companies trying to do AI versus an AI company, Data Robot, trying, doing cybersecurity. Cyber companies trying to do AI have come up with very, very pointed solution, right? They have a solution that detects one instance. It detects, hey, this, we detect this one anomaly. We have an algorithm that detects one use case in, in cybersecurity. Um, and as, we, as you just mentioned about drift and data accuracy, over time, that, that solution, that single-pointed AI solution could could drift and not be successful and you never know it. Yep. Um, and I said, well, how do I get to an AI company that can solve multiple problems in cybersecurity? Oh, and by the way, when those solutions start to drift, as in the adversary changes tactics, um, it can still track that and understand that, hey, it needs to retrain. This model is no longer valid. I need to do different things to still provide a valuable defense. Yep. And and Data Robot provides that, in my opinion, and that's what that's what we're building here in the cybersecurity space. What have you come across in terms of customers or use cases or stories that maybe surprised you that you were like, because there's intelligent people working within all sorts of organizations that are now going like, wait a second, your AI can do what? I could apply that myself in this particular use case. And that's when you get these ahas of like, oh yeah, wow, we can, have you got examples of customers you've been working sure. with or, or people you've spoken to that you were sort of surprised at how they were using it and give us an example? Sure, so so I'm gonna give you two different examples. One was the common one that, that there's a few that I expected and they're proving true. Mm -hmm. And then there was a few that I was like, hey, I, I didn't think about that, but yeah, cool. that's a great idea. Yeah. So the ones that I thought that proved true um, if you think about uh, security operations center socks, mm -hmm. socks 1.0, you know, 2000, mid 2000s, all the way up to let's say 2014, was hey, we have no idea what's going on. We need to put firewalls up, segment our network, and look at the traffic in and out. Got to keep the bad guys out. Yep. Sock sock 2.0 was you know 20, let's say 2014 through to today said, oh, I, hey, I have all these sensors out here. I need to understand what's going on. And I bring them all in. And that's where you have all this, uh, you know, Star Wars screens and yeah. all the data coming in and, you know, pew, pew. Is um, it 2014, and 2015 because of cloud out of interest? Because you can't just protect a network anymore. Your networks yeah. are virtual. Devices are everywhere. Understand that's right. That's right. Code. Yeah. You okay. went to people started realizing how big their terrain actually was, right? Like how big their networks actually were. Yeah. Um, and and frankly, more tools came to market that said, "I can give you visibility of this. I can give you visibility of that." Yeah. So it was all we got that visibility. Now it's just a firehose. 
now it's like so much information coming in. I'm alerting on everything at the same time. Yep. So SOC 3.0 is how do we validate, um, you know, these five alerts are actually a single event. Um, this one matters. This one doesn't. You know, th this needs to go routed to these to the network people. This needs to be routed to the to the endpoint people. This goes to the cert team, right? So the first AI uh, estimation that is proved true is how do we predict when we see those trouble tickets? How do we predict that these five trouble tickets are actually the same series of sequence of events? Uh, this, these seven trouble tickets need to be routed to this place. These yep. need to go here, shorten that decision cycle and reduce the cost in the SOC, right? Yeah. We can't hire enough cybersecurity people. Maybe we can be more efficient with the ones we have. Yep. That proved true. This, one of the ones that surprised me was to speak to cloud, as you brought up earlier, is we started talking to people, cloud infrastructure is enormously growing, and it, and, it, and it shouldn't have surprised me, I guess. Now that I think back, I mean, if you look at AWS, Amazon's profits in their cloud infrastructure, uh, going yeah. to reinvent for the last six years every year became a dogfight to even just get a coffee. Like the place is going gangbusters, right? That's right. That's right. That's right. And you have Azure Cloud going nuts. You yeah. have Google Cloud going nuts, um, and what else has spawned up at the same time? I think it's uh, at about $56,000 a coin right now. Um, Bitcoin. What, bingo. So uh, a giant cryptocurrency mining industry ha has spawned at the same time. The same time that you have all this cloud infrastructure coming out of nowhere, people are standing up their you know, mainstream ma major cloud instances. The security on the cloud instances isn't really there. You have people that are saying, hey, that's free compute power. Let me, let me start, you know, using that compute power, you know, while you're looking right, trying to just get a hold of your regular business, I'm going to steal all that extra compute power you're using um, and start mining cryptocurrency. So one of the use cases that we, that totally blew my mind was uh, detecting when your cloud infrastructure was being used for crypto mining. We can predict that by looking at you know processes that are occurring in the in the in the in your cloud, temperatures of the CPUs, right? Like load and temperature on the CPU, action and power that they're pulling in. It's like that power's out of that range because it's doing crypto mining. And that just pew, I was like, I, I didn't think of that use case. <laughs> can I be honest? I mean, I'm going to be. I don't know anything about cryptocurrency. I wish I did and Bitcoin and that. And I just like, so yeah, I don't get it. But I get the concept of like, okay, like what are they mining for? Like, I don't want to go away from the use case. Like, where do you go looking? How do you mean there? Like, is there a pot of mining. gold somewhere and you mine? For, is that literally what it does? This could be a whole <laughs> separate podcast. Like, <laughs> yeah. all right. I'll bring it, I'll bring I'm going to need a cryptocurrency person to come on and a Bitcoin person and explain to me what on earth is going on? But I get the idea of the free tier on AWS being used for purposes other than what the company initiated it for. And that, that to me is, that makes complete sense. And it could be dangerous from a security perspective, not just for cryptocurrency, I would imagine. It could also be used for malicious code, 
for all the right. attacking Trojan things, all those cyber words that I know nothing about but have read <laughs> extensively in the last five, <laughs> ten years and can imagine that they're very evil. But that's a pretty interesting use case for like identifying, you know, there's no application per se running, but there's processes connected to this cloud infrastructure that probably shouldn't be. Um, that's right. Where are we going? Where? What's next? What's what's going on with um with uh cybersecurity and AI? Is there anything that um we should be on the lookout for? Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you the strategic view of, of just where where we are going here at Data Robot. Um, in general, most of the cybersecurity in- industry is focused on the known knowns, right? Mm-hmm. Um, indicators of compromises or IOCs, as as you've probably heard. That's basically saying, hey, I saw this happen in the wild. I'm now seeing it on your computer. Bad. Bad is bad, right? Yeah. IOC, um, International Olympic Committee. That's what went through my head when you said IOC. I, I will still say bad is bad on that one too. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, we can talk about uh, <laughs> uh, global sports corruption and then a whole nother <laughs> podcast. Yeah. You have a, do you, um, is that a topic that you go into? I guess you could, couldn't you? Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's stay on track. Stay on track. Stay on track. Yeah, this is yeah. a separate podcast. <laughs> this is why I wanted to get Sean on the podcast, by the way, for people listening, is because his background is fascinating. And so you just tease a little thing like corruption and in international sport. Don't tell me you got to <laughs> on that. Oh, yeah. Here we go. And then I find out all sorts of stuff that I didn't know. Known is known. Yeah. No, bad is bad. That's where you were. That's right. Stay on That's track. Right. <laughs> My fault. Right. I, antag- I antagonize you to go off okay. way okay. too many tangents. Okay. Um, so, uh, so that's a lot of the industry is built on that, right? I see it happen in the wild. And then, that's, and then I tell people, hey, if you see this in your system, that's bad. The problem is our, the, our adversaries, um, like the, just the China and the Russians of the world, they're good, right? Mm. China graduates more computer scientists every year than all of college graduates in the United States. Holy crap. So, yeah. yeah. So, it's going to be dangerous yeah. for us. In the anyway, there, that's one. yeah, exactly. So, uh, when you have that scenario, right, you're going to be well beyond the capacity to, to understand what your adversary is doing, right? You can't track that many adversaries. You're just overwhelmed. Yep. So how do we find out those known unknowns, which is we know it's an APT, a nation state level activity, but we don't know what they're doing. And how do we track the unknown unknowns, which is, which is we don't know what nation state, we don't know what's going on and we haven't, we can't identify their uh, their adversarial activity against us. Can we predict bad without ever having seen it before? And that's what we're, we are really working on in Data Robot is how are we positioning ourselves to solve problems of identifying those adversaries that, that have never been seen before? Got it. Yep. Yep. So beyond human capability at a scale so that we can know the unknowns because we know we don't. That's right. That's right. And, and do it. And that's right. And do it at scale and do at it scale. at scale. Cause that's going to be yes. key. Sean, <laughs> it's been a, a remarkable conversation. Um, 
and I look forward to sitting and having an actual beer with you somewhere. I get the feeling that if we sat down for a beer, the conversation would go into weird and wonderful places. So maybe we can talk about sports corruption. You told me to get a book too. I haven't finished reading the book. It was. A, it was I feel a, like we'd solve a lot of problems. Right? Kate, we could solve world hunger. Yeah. What? Tell me about. There was a book you told me to get. You're not welcome here, Kate Hill. Kate. Did you? Oh, have, Fiona Hill. Fiona, Fiona Hill. Hill. Fiona Hill. Yes. I got to read There's this. Nothing poem. for you here. There is nothing for you here. See, that's not bad that I sort of, I got the last name right and I got half of the sentence of the book. That'd be enough these days in a Google search to find it. (laughs) So that's worth a read. This is from, what's this book about? Yeah, so I'm halfway through it. Uh, Fiona Hill um, is a, you know, world-renowned expert on, um, on, on Russia policy, but specifically U.S. Russia policy. Um, and she's a, uh, an exquisite expert on Vladimir Putin himself. Um, so I've read some of her other books, really insightful in understanding um, why Russia does things that they do um, and why Putin yeah. does things that he does. Um, and to me, when you take those real world activities and then you say, hey, if this happens in the real world or this is the motivation in the real world, um, we can translate in, that into cyberspace, and it, and it enlightens. Um, it enlightens motivations. It enlightens, you know, adversarial activity targets, and, and how to better protect ourselves in cyberspace. So that's my current read. Fantastic. I'm gonna. Yeah, I, I remember you mentioning that book, and it, immediately I went, yeah, "I'm really keen," and I've bought it. Um, I had to buy it on Kindle because of the international shipping situation in Australia it means that it wouldn't arrive until 2031. Um, just like the vaccine for COVID that also took a year longer than everyone else. We're just coming out of lockdown. So everything, (laughs) even though we actually live in the future here in Australia, because we're half a day or a day ahead of you, we actually live in the past by about six months or a year. (laughs) So um, I look forward to catching up with you physically at some point um, and chatting about it. Good luck with the cybersecurity element. I'm sure you'll be fantastic. And I assume anyone that's listening that wants to apply AI initiatives for cybersecurity can contact you or Dave to find out more. Or you can contact me if you really want. Um, <laughs> Sean, great to catch up with you. And uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Look forward to the next one. <laughs>